Welcome to Chapter 2 of HealthSystemCIO.com's interview with Doug Fridsma, President and CEO of AMIA. In this segment, Fridsma talks about why we need to change our definition of interoperability, why he's a big fan of FHIR despite its challenges, and what he believes is the real issue behind sharing. HealthSystemCIO.com podcasts are sponsored by Improvata, the healthcare IT security company ranked number one by class for secure messaging and single sign-on. For more information, visit their website at improvata.com. So obviously one of the words that keeps coming up is uh, interoperability. And uh, I noticed that a few months ago, Amy uh, gave a statement supporting the ONC draft framework to measure the use of interoperability standards and recommending a measured approach that focuses on the clinician patient experience. And can, can you talk a little bit more about what you'd like to see? Well, I think interoperability is one of those things that oftentimes is defined as a place, sort of this, this notion that we'll, we'll achieve this nirvana of data liquidity and interoperability when data can freely flow from one system to another. And they define it as sort of this utopian vision of what interoperability is. Right. But I think interoperability really is not defined as this utopian place that we eventually will arrive at. Mm-hmm. Interoperability is really um, defined by the ability of systems to do things automatically that previously they couldn't do. If you want to measure interoperability, you have to define the thing you want to do. And so, you know, I give the analogy, you know, when, when I was seeing patients, if I saw a patient the next day after they had been seen in the emergency room and they pulled out of their pocket this yellow carbon copy sheet from their visit in the, the night before, I was practicing at the Scottsdale Mayo Clinic, and so it gets hot there. And if you take those yellow sheets and you put them on your dash in the 110-degree weather, they completely blanch, and you can't see anything in it. So, you know, you'd see someone the next day, and they'd say, here's my sheet that I got, and it was entirely illegible. I couldn't read any of the things there. So to me, interoperability would be if somebody just sent me an electronic copy of their visit in my inbox before yeah. I saw them the, the previous day, I'd be able to read that information mm-hmm. and I'd be able to actually see the patient and know what meds or what diagnoses or what um, treatments were given. Yeah. And so that to me would be a great improvement. But if what I wanted to do is add from their visit all their medications that they were seen, having a PDF of their, or their ER visit isn't going to be helpful. I'd need to have some sort of structured format that would allow me to import that directly into the electronic health record. Mm-hmm. So interoperability isn't a utopian place. It's just this incremental added functionality. So going from a paper record to a PDF to something that is more structured, each one of those provides additional interoperability and the ability to sort of both exchange information and then use the information that's been exchanged. I think that's the fundamental advice is that if we want to get to a place where we have better interoperability, we have to be able to measure it. And you can't measure it in the abstract. You have to measure it in concrete functionality, Mm -hmm. which is to say, if I went from paper to a PDF in my inbox, that's one measure, but maybe we would go from PDF in my inbox to a structured import that can be put directly into the electronic health record and be able to check for drug-drug interactions, you know, that's yet another level. And so interoperability is sort of this incremental additional functionality based on things that you want to do. 
So our advice has been, and always is, you have to ground interoperability into specific tasks and specific things that you'd like to be able to see. And then you're you're able to sort of see whether, one, you've achieved it or not, and two, once you've, you know, done the PDF in your inbox, the next stage is going to be, well, this is useful, but it could be even more useful. And we need to kind of keep pushing to do, to do more. Right. I mean, I'm sure it's no surprise to you why it really is a buzzword and why it is something that's talked about so much. And it's different when you, when you break it down that way. It just, it just makes a little bit more sense, and it's more of a practical view on interoperability. Yeah. Well, and I think interoperability is fundamentally a practical thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about APIs and we talk about sort of all these frameworks, but the reality is, is that interoperability says I can exchange information and I can use the information that's been exchanged. So if I can exchange information, but it's in a format that I can't use it, mm-hmm. then it's really challenging. You, you, you don't have interoperability. And the thing is, is because we want to use the information for different things, like I just want to read it, or I want to be able to check for drug-drug interactions, or I want to be able to do data mining on it, or all the myriad of things, interoperability is defined by the thing you want to do. And that's why the practical approach to sort of measuring and defining interoperability is say, what do you want to do? And given that, what's the functionality that you need to make it happen? Right. Now, um one of the things we're hearing, starting to hear a little bit more about now is FIRE, and there are people who are pretty strong advocates of it, and um, you know, there's, of course, skepticism too, but, but what are your thoughts on the potential that, that FIRE has? So there's a lot of good things about FIRE. By way of complete disclosure, I was on the HL7 board of directors when mm-hmm. they sort of launched some of their fresh look activities and one of those being uh, the FIRE activities. And so I've been uh, a fan of FIRE for a while. There's a couple of things that make FIRE, I think, very interesting. The first is, is that it's trying to hold fast to, to an 80-20 rule. They're trying to solve 80% of the problem and recognize that 20% of the problem is, is going to be really hard and that that's going to add tremendous amount of uh, complexity. And they've done a pretty good job using their governance structures of sticking to the 80-20 rule. The second thing that I think is interesting is that it is not the modelers that are developing the standard. That was one of the challenges with the version 3 from HL7, but it's the implementers. And so HL7 is written to to help implementers' jobs be easier. Mm -hmm. And so that's a key point because that's how it's, I think, in some sense achieved such rapid adoption is because it doesn't take three months to learn all the nuance of how to program it. It's written in JSON and XML, and it's using modern languages that people understand. I think third, it has built into it a testing for interoperability in the development of the standard and the implementation of the standard. So by creating fire servers that allow you to implement um, sort of a fire specification and test it against a fire server, it helps you test both the sending and receiving of that information uh, in a way that many of the other standards didn't really give you that ability to dynamically do it. And so it was often very arduous to test it to see if things were working correctly. The challenges for fire are going to be that because they're solving the 80-20 rule, there is this notion of extensions. And so 
One of the criticisms of the version 2 HL7 standards is that you saw one implementation of a version 2 standard. You've seen one implementation of a version 2 standard. Right. Um, and so while you could achieve interoperability within, within an organization or across a, a specific enterprise, it was difficult to exchange V2 messages between different organizations because they'd have different versions of the same standard. There's been a, a number of different projects. The Argonaut project uh, is one in particular that have tried to take a look at the variations that are present out there and to try to get some more national agreement that we should all implement things in similar ways. Mm -hmm. So there's a recognition of one of those challenges and efforts already underway to help mitigate some of those risks that the flexibility of FIRE will lead to lack of interoperability because everybody's going to do things in a slightly different way. When people take a look at FHIR, there really isn't right now an alternative to FHIR that has arisen. I think that's why many people are sort of trying to fix the challenges that FHIR has and trying to implement uh, what's there. Uh, I'm pretty optimistic that FHIR is going to solve some of the problems that we've got with interoperability. And I think the people that are leading the effort and the governance structures that they've put in place have the potential to really make it useful. Um, there's always the risk that people are going to develop proprietary solutions and try to have those become ubiquitous. Mm -hmm. But increasingly, I'm seeing people um, and organizations, some of the large um, EHR vendors, that are really trying to work as a community develop some consistent ways of implementing FHIR for important things like clinical decision support or document exchange. Right. Yeah, it, it's interesting when you look at it uh, that way. It, it's, it's, not, it's not a perfect solution, but holding out for one <laughs> is, is just, uh, just doesn't seem like, very, like a very smart thing either, so maybe it's, it's better to try, to try to improve upon what's there. Exactly. You know, I, I think if you you can't let perfect be the enemy of good, mm -hmm. but you also shouldn't let good be the enemy of better. Mm. And I think fire is one of those things that it doesn't let perfect be the enemy of good, and they also have processes that allows them to take what's good and make it better. And so to me, that's the, that's the best that you can hope for in a standard because you're, you're going to learn so much in the process of implementing and testing you just want something that you can constantly improve. I mean, I, I used to say that the only standard you never change is a standard that you never use. Right. So, you know, if, if you're going to use it, you're going to find things that can make it better. And I think FHIR has that, has that potential. And, you know, I think the challenge goes back to some of the business processes around sharing, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't want to share, you can oftentimes create technology barriers that make it hard to share. Right. Um, or you can adopt um, solutions that will make it easier to share. And I think sometimes those things are not made based on the technical merits, but rather on the business cases that might drive them. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.